Okay, so would you turn with me please to the words that we read then in Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5 and reading verse 2. Micah 5 verse 2 we read, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is of old from ancient days. This morning we find ourselves in the New Testament as we gave thought to the coming of Jesus as he was born once in Royal David's city. This evening we're going to be in the Old Testament as we give further thought to the coming of Jesus and his birth in the little town of Bethlehem. And we're going to consider this as we find it in Micah 5, verses 1 through to 5, and we're going to focus on these verses under three headings, the address, the announcement, and the anticipation. The address, the announcement, and the anticipation. First we have the address. Look at verse 1. We see here that the Lord addresses a people who are living through a crisis. The Lord addressing a people who are living through a crisis. The Lord begins by addressing a city which is under siege. We read in verse 1, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops, siege is laid against us. Now he stops. The Lord is addressing here the city of Jerusalem, which describes here as being the daughter of troops. She was a city made up of a warlike and warmongering people. She was a city made up of a people who really believed that they were powerful and that they were key players in the political arena. The reality is that it had been many years, in fact many decades, since Jerusalem had had any major influence on ancient Near Eastern politics. And the Lord tells the daughter of troops here to muster her troops. The word muster means to band together, and it's often used to refer to a very small group of raiders. So here is this warlike and warmongering city, and here's this city which really saw themselves as being a big name on the world stage, but the Lord is saying here that they are unable to assemble an army of any note. They can only muster a small band of raiders. And the reason the Lord tells Jerusalem to muster her troops is because a siege has been laid against them. This is a reference to a siege that took place in 701 BC. In 701 BC, King Sennacherib of Assyria laid siege to Jerusalem. It was a devastating moment in the the history of the people, in the lives of the people. The economy was now in free fall. Food was in short supply. The morale of the people was at an all-time low. The city stood on the very brink of collapse. And things go from bad to worse as the Lord moves from speaking about the city being under siege to speaking about its king who's been struck. Look again at verse 1. We read, with a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. The Lord speaks here about the judge, the leader, the king of Israel. The king at the time was King Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz. And as the judge of the people, he was meant to defend them and deliver them. That's what we see again and again throughout the book of Judges. The judges were those who were meant to defend and deliver the people of God. But the Lord claims here that this judge of Israel has been struck on the cheek with a rod. Instead of defending his people, he is unable to defend himself. 
Instead of dashing the enemies of his people with a rod like the psalmist in Psalm 2 spoke about, this ruler has been struck on the cheek with a rod. It's a picture of total and utter humiliation of this king who has come from the line of David. Now friends, as we consider this verse, we can see that this is a message that's addressed to a people who are living through a time of crisis. A people who are living through a time of crisis. That is what the Lord is emphasizing as he speaks here to the daughter of troops, the city of Jerusalem. The city is under siege from foreign invaders. The king is unable to defend himself, never mind his people. The people of Judah in general, the, the people of Jerusalem in particular, are living through a crisis. And this prophecy is still addressed to people who feel like they're living through a crisis. It's for people whose lives have been turned upside down by some circumstance, some situation that they simply weren't prepared for. A bit like the city of Jerusalem. They weren't prepared for the siege of Sennacherib. It came upon them so unexpectedly and they they were suddenly floundering around when it actually happened. It's for people who have come to realise that their leaders cannot defend them. They cannot deliver them. They cannot even defend or deliver themselves. It's for people who feel like they're at the end of their tether. People who feel like they're sitting at Whitsend Corner. It's for people who begin each day saying, I don't know if I can take any more of this. I don't know if I can cope with any more of this. Let me ask you on this last Sunday before Christmas, do you feel like you're living at a time where despite all the tinsel and all the turkey and all the trimmings and all the trees, your life feels hollow and empty? Do you feel like tonight that despite all the fancy lights that you see around you, and if you go up Matheson Road or Goathill Road right now, you will see house after house filled with so many bright lights. But do you feel that despite all these bright lights, there seems to be this darkness hanging over you? I think if we were honest, many of us would feel that way. Because we don't know what's going to be happening in the next few days. We don't know what our leaders are going to say, what they're going to do. We feel this incredible pressure on us. And if you are feeling this way tonight, friend, if you are feeling hollow, if you are feeling empty, if you're feeling that you're in a very dark place and it doesn't matter how many jingles they put on the radio right now, if you feel like you're just not coping, if you feel that you're at the far end of the wedge, the thin end of the wedge, then Micah 5 has a word for you. And we move from the address then to the announcement. Look at verse 2. The Lord now speaks to his people about a coming ruler from Bethlehem. The Lord continues speaking. And he now addresses a small town at the very beginning of verse 2. We read, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. The Lord begins with the words, But you, O Bethlehem. This indicates a change. It indicates a transition. The Lord has been addressing the the great city of Jerusalem, the political capital, the the religious capital. But he now turns his attention to this very small village. And he refers to it as Bethlehem Ephrathah. Bethlehem was the name of the town. Ephrathah was the region in which the town was located. This town was so small. It was so underrated. It was so unheard of. No one knew where Bethlehem was. 
And they had to be told what region it was in. You can imagine that if someone said, where are you going on holiday? And they said, well, I'm going on holiday to Bethlehem. And they would say, where is that? And they would say, well, it's in the region of Ephrathah. That's how small Bethlehem was. And the Lord describes it here as being too little to be among the clans of Judah. It was small in terms of size. It was small in terms of influence. It was so small that when Joshua allocated the various towns and villages to the tribe of Judah, Bethlehem didn't even get mentioned. It just goes unnoticed. And the Lord goes on to speak about a ruler who will come from this small town. Look at verse 2 again. From you shall come forth for me... One who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. The Lord says here that a ruler will come from Bethlehem. This is amazing. It's almost a case of history repeating itself. Because if you remember in 1 Samuel 16, the Lord's people are at a low end. They're being oppressed by these Philistine invaders. Their king Saul isn't able to offer any solution to the problems that they're going through. And the Lord sends a ruler for them. And where does the ruler come from? He comes from Bethlehem. This young boy David from the tribe of Judah. And now the Lord says that he is going back to Bethlehem. Back to the tribe of David. Back to the tribe of Judah. As he chooses a ruler for his discouraged, downcast, depressed people. And the Lord says that this ruler will come forth for me. Unlike so many of the kings of Israel up to this point, who have been so self-serving and so self-seeking, this king will be different. He is the Lord's agent. He is the Lord's servant. He is the Lord's representative. He is one who is going to come for the Lord. And the Lord says that this ruler is coming His coming forth or origins are from of old, from ancient days. This phrase ancient days can be translated as from eternity or from everlasting. So the Lord's encouraging his people here to expect a ruler to come from the tribe, the family of David, and from the town, the birthplace of David. And the Lord is saying that this ruler is more than a human figure. This ruler is one whose origins are from everlasting. His origins are from eternity. He, he is the eternal one. Now, friends, as we consider this verse, we can see that this announcement of a coming ruler is a wonderful reminder that the Lord is faithful. The Lord keeps his promises. That's what these verses, this verse is telling us. The Lord is faithful. He keeps his promises. That's what the Lord is telling his discouraged people in Judah to remember. In 2 Samuel 7, he had promised David that his family would sit on the throne forever. And through them, the nations would be blessed. And behind that promise lay the Lord's promise to Abram in Genesis 12. Where the Lord said to Abram, through your family, through your seed... The nations will be blessed. And behind that promise lay the promise that we looked at last week in Genesis chapter 3. Where the Lord had promised the man and woman that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And undo all the work of the serpent restoring the creation back to God's original design. The Lord would bless through that seed. But in Micah chapter 5 verse 1 these wonderful promises seem to be in jeopardy. Jerusalem is on the brink of collapse. Jerusalem's king is on the brink of collapse. 
And now this verse, Micah 5 verse 2, is the great announcement that the Lord is going to raise up a ruler from David's city and David's family because he is the God who keeps his promises. And we see that being fulfilled in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 1 and 2, we find this emphasis on Jesus being the one who will sit on the throne of David. And Luke draws our attention, we saw it this morning, to the fact that he is born in Bethlehem, the city of David. It's repeated again and again and again that he is the one born in Bethlehem, the city of David. In Matthew chapters 1 and 2, we see this emphasis that Jesus is the son of David. And he's the one who is born in Bethlehem. And the chief priests and the scribes are very clear in telling Herod that the Christ, the Messiah, the appointed and anointed ruler, was due to come from this small and insignificant town. In fact, the scribes and the priests even quote Micah 5 verse 2 to Herod. They say, let's go back to the Old Testament, Herod. The Old Testament tells us that God is going to send a ruler from Bethlehem. The Christmas story... The birth of Jesus in Bethlehem is a simple but glorious reminder that God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. Listen to these words from Dale Ralph Davis. He writes, there is a small town in Judah that stands for a stubborn promise of God. A promise that can never be falsified or terminated no matter how seemingly beyond help the Lord's cause appears to be. In January 1835, Andrew Jackson was walking through the Capitol Rotunda and was nearly cut down by a would-be assassin. Richard Lawrence approached the president and levelled a pistol at him which misfired. Jackson was now coming on, cane raised to whip his assailant when Lawrence pulled out another pistol which also misfired. Both of these pistols were subsequently fired. Someone estimated the odds of two consecutive misfires at 1 in 125,000. It looked like the end, but it wasn't. And Davis goes on and says, that is often the case in the kingdom of God. And Micah's prophecy reminds us that God's Messiah will be born and God's kingdom will come. Not because conditions look optimal or the world outlook encouraging, but because God has promised and nothing and no one can overthrow his will. This evening, friends, I want to draw your attention to the God who keeps his promises. And I'm doing this not so that you will say, isn't that interesting how Matthew and Luke work together with Micah? No, I'm encouraging you to reflect on the God who keeps his promises so that you would be increasingly encouraged to put your trust in him. That when your life feels so chaotic, when your life feels so confused... And when you don't know who to turn to and you don't know where to turn to, you would know that there is a faithful God, a promise-making, promise-keeping God who you can trust. That's what Micah is telling us. Don't put your trust in Nicola Sturgeon. Don't put your trust in Boris Johnson. And don't put your trust in all the scientists and what they might be saying. And don't put your trust in the media. And don't even put your trust in ministers or elders. But put your trust in the God who is faithful and keeps his promises. That's where you turn to. That's where you go when life feels so chaotic and so confused. 
Third and finally, we come to the anticipation, and that's in verses 3 down to 5. The Lord now describes the rule of the coming ruler from Bethlehem. Verse 3, the Lord speaks about the coming of this ruler being delayed. We read, therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labour has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. In verse 2, the Lord had given a wonderful promise to his crisis hit people. They were on the brink of collapse. And the Lord told them that he would raise up a ruler for them from Bethlehem. And as soon as he says this, the Lord goes on to say that this ruler's coming will be delayed. Beginning of verse 3. Before this takes place, the Lord is going to give his people up. He is going to hand them over. In other words, the Lord is going to allow his people to go through such a season of affliction that they will feel that he has abandoned them, washed his hands of them altogether. But it's not forever. It's for a limited time because look at verse 3. The Lord speaks now about a woman giving birth and the brothers returning to Israel. Uh, This is a reference to to the labour pains of the people being ripped from Jerusalem. When uh, When the Babylonians came and took the people of Jerusalem, it was like a woman in labour. It was a painful experience as the people were ripped out of that city. And then the Lord speaks here about the brothers returning, the the end of that exile in Babylon. And when these events have taken place, the exile in Babylon, and then the end, the return from the exile in Babylon, then and only then will the promised ruler come. And in verses 4 and 5, the Lord gives this description of the reign of this coming ruler. We read, and He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure for now. He shall be great to the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace. The Lord begins by saying that this coming ruler will stand and shepherd his people in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. In First and Second Samuel, there's this repeated emphasis that the Lord took David from caring for the flock of his father to caring for his flock, his covenant people, the united kingdom of Israel and Judah. And now the Lord says that he is going back to Bethlehem and back to the tribe of David for another shepherd for his people. And this shepherd's reign will be strong. This shepherd's reign will be stable, not because of anything in and of himself, but because he will reign in the strength of the Lord his God. The Lord goes on and says that his people will dwell securely as they remain under the shepherd's ruling care, this ruler's shepherding care. Again, we see that in verse 4. We read that they will dwell securely. Literally, they will sit securely. And these people will be able to sit because the shepherd, the ruler, is doing what? He's standing. He's standing ready to defend, standing ready to deliver. Standing ready to care, standing ready to comfort. And because he is standing, they can sit, they can dwell secure. The Lord goes even further. As he says that this coming ruler will be great to the ends of the earth. His reign won't be confined to a small area. 
His reign will not be limited by borders and boundaries. His reign will not be restricted to a certain geopolitical location. His reign, his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth. The the people can look back to the days of David and Solomon, that great golden age, and they can think of the extent of their reign, and their reign reached the size of no more than the size of an area like Wales. A very small area. But this ruler, his reign will extend to the ends of the earth. And finally, the Lord says that this ruler will be their peace. The word peace here is such a rich word in the Old Testament. It's that word shalom. I know some of you have houses called shalom. And some of you have email addresses with shalom in them. It's a word that's used to describe wholeness and well-being and flourishing. And, And the Lord says that this coming shepherd from Bethlehem This good shepherd, this great ruler, look at what the Lord says. He won't simply give his people peace. This coming ruler from Bethlehem, this good shepherd, will be their peace. He'll be the one in whom lasting wholeness, lasting well-being, lasting flourishing are found. He will be the solution. He will be the answer. He will be the remedy to every crisis. He won't come along and just give a few droplets of peace to his people. He will come to his people and he will be their peace. Well, friends, as we consider these verses, we can see this great anticipation concerning the reign of the coming ruler from Bethlehem. This is the good news that the Lord has for his crisis-hit people in Judah. The message of a ruler who will shepherd his people. The message of a ruler who will cause his people to sit or dwell securely. The message of a ruler whose greatness will extend to the ends of the earth. The message of a ruler in whom wholeness, well-being, flourishing, peace are finally found. What a message for a people who were at the end of their tether. What a message for a people who felt like they couldn't take any more. The Lord is saying to them, a ruler is going to come. And he will be your peace. And the New Testament makes it clear that this ruler has come. Jesus, as we've already said, is the one who was born in Bethlehem. And he was born in Bethlehem after the exile in Babylon. And after the exiles had returned back to their homeland. And as soon as he is born, the angels appear and and we know what they say to the shepherds. They sing glory to God in the highest. But what else do they sing? Peace on earth. And as Jesus carries out his earthly ministry, he claims to be what? He claims to be the good shepherd who has come to give his people life in all its fullness. Life in all its abundance. Life in all its shalom. But the New Testament also makes it clear that this ruler is coming again. And when he returns, his people will see and they will enjoy the full reality of his shepherding rule. He's going to bring an end to every crisis that his people are going through. He's going to lead his people to the springs of living water. He's going to... Wipe away all the tears. And not only the tears, but even the causes of tears. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Last Battle, and I hope that the younger people here will read The Last Battle one day, and I hope the older folk in the congregation will read it. I've been reading it the last few evenings and just finished it this week. I, I love The Last Battle. And in The Last Battle, 
the children find themselves in a new and perfect world which Aslan the lion is ruling over. And C.S. Lewis closes with these words, very well-known words. He writes, The things that began to happen after that were so great and so beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us that is the end of all the stories and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and in which every chapter is better than the one before. That is the Old Testament hope. That is the New Testament hope. That is the gospel hope. The great story where every chapter is better than the one before as we live under the glorious rule of the Good Shepherd. That is the New Testament hope. That's the Old Testament hope. That is the hope of the gospel. And so, friends, as we close, let me ask one final question. Is the thought of Christ's second coming and the full realisation of his rule filling you with joyful anticipation this evening. Can you sing, as we sung just a few moments ago, joy to the world, the Lord has come. If you're a Christian, if the ruler from Bethlehem is your shepherd, then you have every right and every reason to have such an anticipation and longing for this. This life is as bad as it will get for you. Think of that. This life is as bad as it will get for you. And when the good shepherd, the ruler from Bethlehem comes, your saviour, he is going to bring an end to every crisis going on in your life. The very first word that Jesus will speak to you when he comes is the word that he spoke so often to his disciples. Peace. Shalom. Well-being. Think of that. And so this Christmas you can sing the words of the hymn that we'll sing in a few moments. So come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. O come, O bright and morning star, and bring us comfort from afar. Dispel the shadows of the night and turn our darkness into light. O come, O King of nations, bind in one the hearts of all mankind. Bid all our sad divisions cease. And be yourself our King of Peace. That's what Christmas should be creating in us. A a longing and a hunger for the King to come. And the prayer, come Emmanuel, come. Those in the Old Testament were praying, come. And the writers in the New Testament were praying, come. And so why is it that Christians in the 21st century seem to be so reticent about praying, come, are we just too comfortable? But if you're not a Christian, if the ruler from Bethlehem isn't your shepherd, then you can't look forward to his coming, his rule with any joyful anticipation. This life is as good as it will get for you. Think of that. This life, with 
self-isolating, restrictions, social distancing, loss of work, loss of income, loss of health, loss of loved ones. This life is as good as it will get for you. And when the good shepherd, the ruler from Bethlehem comes, he will only bring further crisis into your life. There will be no word of peace spoken to you. My friend, tonight I am urging you to bow the knee to the ruler from Bethlehem. And not only to bow the knee to him, but to receive him as your shepherd. So that you can live with this sure and certain hope. This great gospel confidence that for you, for you, the best is still to come. You're not a Christian. This life is as good as it gets. But if you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, if the shepherd is your shepherd and ruler, this life is as bad as it will get for you. And a day will come in. A day will come when you will see his face and he will speak peace to you. What a thought for Christmas. This coming ruler who is going to bring an end to all conflict, all confusion, all crisis. Our Jesus.